Well, good morning. That's a little hot. We're glad that you're here today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, gosh, I, I, sometimes the songs redirect me. Um, you know, as I'm studying through Philippians, there is so much here and so much. I wish I could share it all. And I hope that you're following along. In fact, just to check, let me do a little pop quiz here. Uh, last week, I encourage you uh, to, to focus on and meditate on the verse that I preached about last week from Philippians 121. Without cheating and looking at your Bible, can anyone tell me what Philippians 121 says? Someone stand up and, and quote it if you meditated on it. Yes. All right. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And listen, that verse and the things that we're going to look at coming all the way into Philippians chapter 2, really uh, one of the big themes is facing our fears. Specifically, and I think that we're going to, what we're going to look at today and the next couple of weeks addresses one particular fear, which is death. The fear of death. And we as Christians know that we have a promise. If we are in Christ, then his resurrection, his overcome, uh, overcoming of the grave is ours as well. And so that's a big piece of what we're going to be studying. I want you to keep that in the back of your minds. Today we are going to continue. We're going to start there in Philippians 121 and continue on into that next uh, passage where Paul, the prisoner of Christ, grapples in letter form with his prospects, the prospects of living and the prospect of dying. And not in any morose or very fearful way, but rather he, he contemplates these prospects, living or dying, through the lens of his faith in Christ. And that's really how we're to see everything, especially our dying. There's a beautiful word picture. It's just one word. But it, it conjures up this wonderful image, and it's embedded in verse 23 as Paul contemplates the very real possibility that his imprisonment for his faith could very well end in his death. He's aware that that is very likely. And as he contemplates the real possibility of dying for his faith in verse 23, he says this, I long to depart. And be with Christ. The word depart there is actually a word that was commonly used by sailors in that day for what we would call weighing anchor. Weighing anchor. So imagine this. Imagine this mighty vessel that is at the dock or maybe there in the shallow waters. And this massive anchor has been dropped to hold the ship in place. Weighing, weighing anchor or departing, as Paul says here, as it's translated, would be for the sailors to gather up and go and lean over and begin to heave ho at the chain. Weighing anchor is to lift at the chain to bring the anchor and stow it in the boat in order to set sail for the desired destination. And I think it's very possible that Paul is inspired to use that very word as he thinks about his own life and the possibility of death as he considers the shackles around his limbs and the chains that were holding him there 
in his imprisonment. Maybe that's what made him think. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit used to cause him to pin that word. To think about weighing anchor and departing for his true desired destination. He envisions death, not as something fearful, but instead as going to the place where he wanted to be the most. And honestly, most of us would look at Paul's situation where he writes the book of Philippians, and we would say, man, that guy is between a rock and a hard place. There's really no good option. He can stay there and rot in jail, or they can kill him. Or maybe he gets out and he continues on a very difficult ministry. This dude had a tough, tough life and ministry. So it's hard to think about someone in that situation writing a book of joy. But really, that is the very person that we need to hear from. How do we have this stable joy in life and in death? Where does it come from? Help me to have it because that's the person who knows where it is found. Not in our circumstances, but in Christ. So now we turn to Philippians 1, verses 21 through 26. As we peer into Paul's personal ruminations on the prospects that awaited him on either side. Living a tough situation or dying. Anchored in this life and in the flesh, in the body, or weighing anchor and setting sail for eternity. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your pride in Christ Jesus may be abundant because of me by my coming to you again. The first thing I want you to notice, and particularly in the verse where we were at last week, verse 21, is that Paul is torn between two worlds. You might say he has a foot in both worlds. Two places, two ways of being in Christ. And he sees his situation as really quite stable. He's in Christ. That's what a Christian is. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, one of Paul's favorite ways of talking about the Christian faith is you are in Christ. You are united with him in Christ, where you are now and forever. And so he is torn between two worlds. The Christian faith gives us eyes to see what other people can't see. It gives us eyes to see the glorious things in our difficult circumstances, even in a place of death. Paul's dilemma is not, listen, his dilemma is not, hmm, should I choose to live or should I choose to die? Which is better, to live or to die? I suspect that if we just put it that way, most of us would say, well, I'd rather live than to die. But really, that's not the two options on the table. Both are living in Christ two options on the table. Number one, if I am to live on in the flesh, he says, making that little statement, live on in the flesh. That is, in this body, in this world, 
racked and broken by sin and difficulty and hardship, especially for the Christian. Option one is that I'm living in this life in long distance fellowship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus. I'm with him and he's with me and I have the Holy Spirit abiding in me. I know that he is with me and never will forsake me. That's option one. But the other alternative, he says, for me to live as Christ, right? I'm living in Christ and with Christ in this life, for Christ in this life, and to die is gain. He gives a second alternative. I mean, it's not focusing on the death itself, but what it brings and where it takes him to. He simply says it is gain in verse 21. And so what you notice maybe as we read that the passage under consideration is that he toggles back and forth just a little bit. Okay, that makes it difficult to preach this sermon because I like points. I like to, I may not seem organized, but there is an organization to what I have here. And so though he toggles back and forth, I'm going to do it this way. I just want us to consider the two options, the two worlds that he is weighing and he's torn. He sees both as good options. First, let's consider a little more about what it means living is Christ. And then we'll consider dying is gain, particularly from the verses that follow verse 21. The first thing that we see is Paul lays out a clear and compelling and mature vision of living as a Christian. What is the Christian life all about? He shows us some beautiful things here. Verse 22, he says, the first thing that living the Christian life in the flesh is about is it's about fruitful work or labor for me. That's what he says. He says, if I go on living in this life in, in the flesh, well, I know I have fruitful labor to do. I have things that Christ has appointed me to do. Paul worked hard. He labored hard. Now I know most of y'all think preachers only work one day a week, right? And even for just an hour on that day. Eh, pretty much true, right? No, 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 no. He was different. He worked very hard. He labored. It was taxing. And he expected difficulty. You know, one of the big damages of the prosperity preachers of the day is it, it, it coaxes Christians into thinking, you know, if you're living the life of faith, you will never have hardship. I wonder if these guys ever read the Bible. Hardship. Expect difficulty in this life, especially as a Christian. You're in spiritual warfare, and he expected difficulty in life and ministry. And so he says, it's labor. It's labor. If I go on living... I'm going to keep laboring at the thing that God has given me to do. Paul told Timothy at one time, he said, you know, think about ministry in this way. He says, you're like an athlete. Any athlete worth their salt practices and sweats and does all kinds of things. You know, the only people in the world that can, you know, in America, that can get by with torturing people and not go to jail is a coach. <laughs> Amen, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, I remember, y'all won't believe this, I actually played football, boys club football, and they had these Torturous drills called leg lifts or six inches. Y'all know what that is? You lay on your back and you lift your legs up. And I think the theory is it tightens those ab muscles. And I was just like, thank goodness for my pants. I did leg lifts like that, right? That's how I held my legs up. And, and the athletes go undergo torture and hardship just like in ministry. He says like an athlete or like a hardworking farmer. Now, today, almost all farming is done by tractors and GPSs and drones, right? So it's not that hard. It's just expensive. No, no. The, the picture is a hardworking farmer with calluses on their hands, with the hoe, with back-breaking labor. He said, Timothy, like an athlete that is competing to gain the prize, or like the hardworking farmer that's looking forward to the fruit, or like a soldier who undergoes 
intense drills and all kinds of things and it's very rigid and must be disciplined. That's the way Paul viewed the Christian life and ministry. It's, it's, it's labor, but it's not just labor, it's fruitful labor. He expected fruit to be born from his labor and ministry and I scratch my head and I say, well, what kind of fruit does he have in mind? So we're thinking about the Christian life what should we expect in the Christian life? Well, we should expect to work for the Lord. It's difficult. We will have struggles. It can be very taxing at times, but it's fruitful. What kind of fruit? Well, number one, evangelistic fruit. He's already said in Philippians chapter one that even here in the prison, man, as I'm sharing the gospel, it's going out. Paul expected that when he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and told the good news of God's grace through Jesus about eternal life, that it's not anything that we do by our works, but solely we receive it by faith because of God's grace. He expected that people would turn from darkness to light, that people would be saved. And evangelistic fruit was born in his ministry as he went about sharing the good news of Jesus. Maybe that's the kind of fruit from his labor he expected. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes in the book of Galatians that, you know, when we don't walk in the flesh, but we yield the flesh in our life to the Spirit of God, amazing things will happen. We will be transformed. We will be different people. And he said, so I'm telling you to walk by the Spirit. And when we walk by the Spirit, all of a sudden those things that we really know are good and we want them to happen, but we can't produce them on our own. We can fake it until we make it and all of that kind of stuff, but we never make it. We can fake it. But the Holy Spirit Spirit produces some fruit and he calls it fruit in our life. What are the fruits of the Spirit that God wants to produce in our life? Everywhere we go, everything we do, what are they? Anybody want to stand and give those? The only way I can remember on this, we learned a song in Vacation Bible School. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, some of y'all knew it. You were just chicken to stand up and tell it. These beautiful fruits of the Spirit and everything that we do. And I just have to tell you, man, that ain't me. Everything I just said, that, that, yeah, I asked my wife about, what do you think heaven's going to be like? What do you think going to be with Christ is like? And she began to uh, tell. And I said, man, sounds a lot like me, doesn't it? Does Jesus remind you, uh, you know, you of me? She's like, not in the least. <laughs> so, so, so when we're not walking in the flesh, we're walking by the Spirit. He will produce this fruit in our life. Maybe evangelistic fruit, maybe the fruit of the Spirit, or it could very well be, and I think this is a beautiful picture, Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. He says, there is the fruit of eternal life and eternal rewards. Even if we don't see all kinds of amazing uh, uh, evangelistic fruits and all of that kind of thing, it, it just seems to be a meager little crop we know that there are eternal rewards and eternal life for those who persist in faith in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So what is the fruit? The fruit is eternal life from the Spirit. The fruit is rewards in heaven. So Paul says, in my labor in ministry, if I live in this flesh and keep on, if that's what I go back to, great. I'm going to live for Christ, and it's going to be hard, but I'm expecting fruit from my labor. Not barrenness, not emptiness, not nothing. I expect that God is going to be faithful and do something good through my life. Hey, have you grown weary? You're not seeing the fruit that you want to see in your Christian life? He says, don't give up. Don't get tired of doing good. Keep on. You know, one of the things I've learned about farming fruit is not born in a day. You don't plant a tomato seed and get a tomato tomorrow. Just, it just doesn't happen that way. And such is the Christian life. We keep on knowing that God is faithful 
even when we may not be seeing the fruit. Here's another thing. So he says it's, it's fruitful labor. Then in verses 24 and 5, we're going to skip verse 23. I'll come back to it in just a minute. Verse 24 and 5, if I remain on in the flesh and keep on in this life and ministry, man, it's, I'm going to build others up in their faith. I'm going to build others up in their faith. Here we see selflessness. And his occupation was not about self-gratification. It was not about accomplishments for himself. It wasn't about promoting his name and attainments. It wasn't about accolades and accumulation. It was about building others up, the occupation of loving others. Man, that's what Jesus is about. That's what this Christian life is about. It's about serving Jesus, letting him bear fruit in our life, and building others up. Do you ever wonder what church is about? Why, why do I keep coming to this place? The coffee's okay. It's not that great. Well, they do have snacks. You know, there's peppermints. Why do we keep coming to this place? What are we supposed to be doing? Listen to this guy rattle on and ramble on. I'll tell you what it's about. Listen, this is not just ministers and missionaries and preachers. This is every one of us. The Christian life is about building other people up in the faith. Your presence is missed when you're not here. Even if you are quiet as a church mouse, when you're here, your presence matters. You've been given gifts to serve the Lord in this place, to build up the saints and the body of Christ. And we have to see that mature Christian living is not just about getting, getting, getting. That's, you know, it's okay to be a baby in Christ, to be a brand new Christian. And you need, you need, you need. But as you grow and become more mature in Christ, as we grow, we're supposed to be giving and building up others and so we gather from his words. He says, I, I think that to remain on is, is necessary for your sake. You get this sense that Paul has this idea that, man, I long to, to depart and be with Christ, but I know this. I know that there's ministry for me with you folks. They're struggling. Here's what I think, again, I think I've told you this. I think the Philippians are struggling with fear and anxiety. Their faith is eroding. They've got a joy leak. Joy is seeping out and anxiousness is coming in its place. And I think that Paul says, man, I, I know there are some things that I need to do to help you folks move on. I love what he says. He says, he says if I live on in the flesh, I know I have a good work to do for your progress and joy in the faith. Your progress and joy in the faith. And as I was studying this week, I was trying to get my outline done early in the week. It never works. And I just made a little note around that phrase. For your progress and joy in the faith, need to study more. What in the world? He said, that's what my life is about. If I'm to live on to the flesh, it's for your progress and joy in the faith. He doesn't say... My whole ministry is about making you theologically astute and teaching you big Bible words. It's for your progress in the faith, your joy in the faith. I love how Paul describes himself in another letter. He says, I'm a minister of your joy. I've been thinking about coming up with that title as a, as a title for a position here in the church, minister of joy. That's what we're all supposed to be, ministers for your progress in the faith and your joy. Let me ask you something. If the only indicator you had that you can use to measure your spiritual maturity, okay? When we have all kinds. We think, well, it's how long I've been in church, it's blah, 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 how much I give, whatever, whatever. 
If your only indicator of spiritual maturity was your joy in Christ, what level would you be at? Your joy in Christ is your indicator of spiritual maturity. Would you be a babe, toddler, elementary, adolescent? No, I'm I'm a full-fledged adult. Would you be an elder and mature? That's what Paul was, and he desired them to be for your progress and joy in the faith. And I'm not talking about you're giddy when you get something over here, you know, at the, at the, at the department store or whatever. I'm talking about when, you're, when your Amazon package comes, you get all giddy for a moment. That's not the joy we're talking about, your joy in Christ and the Christian life. He says, I want you to progress in that, in your faith. And with that will come joy. Hmm. Y'all with me? I got a new bird dog puppy. Y'all want to put that picture up on the screen? Yeah, y'all know I I uh, traditionally have focused on one breed. I've got this new breed of pup. This is a Brittany, a Brittany. And um, I'm trying to come up with a name for her, by the way. We don't, I'm not settled on anything, so you can be a part of that. I've been thinking about calling her Joy. You know, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about these days. And uh, I tell you, Joy is found in your faith in Christ, but a bird dog puppy don't hurt things. I mean, I mean, there, there's, there's some fun in that, at least for me. I don't know about anybody else in the house. Got this new bird dog pup, and, uh, you know, I have a job to do with her. She's not going to stay that size for very long. Sometimes we wish they would, but honestly, I don't much care for the little puppy phase, the whimpering and all the stuff. You know, there's, there's a goal with this dog that she would progress and mature and that I would be able to, as a handler and a trainer and, and a hunter, is to be able to draw out all of the potential and more in this dog. It would be a shame if that dog, whatever her name is going to be, just stayed as nothing but a, but a foot warmer. You know, she comes and, and snuggles by my feet again. That's cute and all of that. And, uh, but there's a purpose. I want her to mature in her abilities. Okay, you can take it down. Nobody's listening. They're just oohing and on over the puppy. <laughs> I thought that would wake y'all up. Christianity. There is an element here for Paul, and it should be for us. That, listen, we, we, we have a goal. We're not just making converts who come to Jesus and stay like little puppies in the faith, but no, they progress. I'm not calling y'all dogs or anything, but there's this idea of progressing in the faith, maturing and seeing new fruits and abilities becoming mature in Christ. That's what Paul has in mind for the Philippians. And we should have that in mind for ourselves and for others. That's what we're doing in church We're helping each other attain new heights of holiness and happiness, joy in the faith, progress in spiritual things, maturing. So important. So Paul says, for me to live is Christ. That's some of what he has in mind. For me to live on in the flesh is Christ. It's to help others for their progress and for their joy in the faith. But he does give us in verse 23, a stunning vision of death and what lies beyond it. And he says, and to die is 
gain. Man, what a real economy of words. He talks about what lays beyond this life. To die is gain. And if we're honest, Paul's words here and the things that he says, I'm not sure, but I think they are foreign to most of us. How many of you really live your life this way that when you come rushing by death or it comes knocking at your door or you contemplate it that you honestly can say with this sort of conviction and faith, to die is gain. To die is gain? Two options, to live on in the flesh. Man, fruitful labor for me to help you progress and mature in the faith. I've got good things to do if I live in the flesh. But listen, Paul's not talking about dying. He's talking about living beyond dying. That's what he's talking about here. That's what is gain. And he doesn't merely say this, living is great and dying, well, I'm at peace with it. He doesn't say dying happens to everybody says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I prefer it. It's better by far. How can you say that? He says, I actually want to weigh anchor, pull up the anchor and set sail for my eternal home. How can you say that? It's not the dying that he desires, but it's the destination that dying takes you. It is to eternal life. What does he see? What does he have faith in? What is his confidence in beyond death? What is it? It's to be with Christ. To be with Christ. Let's let that sink into our souls for just a minute. Living, that's fruitful labor, good stuff, the blessings of God, but struggles too. But being with Christ, Dying is actually gain as a Christian. So what happens to a Christian when they die? Well, just like any person, the bodily processes cease, the heart stops beating and pumping blood, the brain begins to short circuit, the muscles twitch for a while and they cease. In our bodies, they go somewhere to dissolution, But the soul goes to be with Christ. He says, dying is gain because I know that the instant that this body ceases to function, my spirit and soul, the real substance of me, not just this outer shell, but that goes to be with Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Not that our souls go to sleep until the resurrection, though the resurrection is the final and ultimate goal. We're talking here about what's called individual eschatology. It is what happens to me when I die, if I'm in Christ? Well, Jesus told the thief on the cross, what? That believed in him, not the other one. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, upon death, you will come to be with me. Maybe 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10 would be helpful. Jot that down in your margin, or you can turn there. Maybe it's helpful for us to think about what death does not bring to some extent. Paul writes elsewhere here in 1 Thessalonians 5, God has not destined us to wrath. 
So upon dying, we don't go into some torturous purgatory or whatever or place where we got to make amends. God has not in Christ destined us for wrath, but instead for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. You see, Jesus went through death for us. He took the wrath of God and the curse of God on sin. He took it for us. So we're not destined to wrath, but we're destined for salvation. And so Paul finishes there in 1 Thessalonians 5, and he says, so that whether awake or asleep, that is that the body sleeps, so to speak, we will live together with him. We will live together with him. There's nothing here about pearly gates, Nothing here, does he say, about streets of gold. Nothing here about angelic choirs or any of that. And I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying all he says here is the main thing. To die for the Christian is gain because you will be with Christ. Can you imagine being transported to that place and Jesus, not St. Peter, meets you? with arms open wide to welcome you in to eternal glory. You know, as I was traveling to go get the unnamed bird dog, it was a long trip. And so, man, I get bored on long trips. And so I think I called my wife one or two or 28 times on that trip. And every time she'd answer, I'd say, hey, what you doing? Same thing I was doing. Know anything new? No, nothing new. Just been doing this thing and all of that. And, uh, you know, it was one thing to talk to her on the phone, but it was another thing to come home and to step in to that home and to see my beloved family. And so to die in Christ is to go home to your family to go home to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. It's to come into the fellowship of your Savior, the one who created you and saved you by his grace. It's to be with him. And I don't know, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. It's actually helpful for me to think about pearly gates and shiny streets and, and, and angels because, you know, it populates the place a little bit. But really the focus is on Jesus. Eye has not seen nor ear heard. But God is prepared for those who love him. Maybe that's why Paul only says to, to, to die is to be with Christ. It's better. Maybe words just can't do it. But we need our sanctified imagination. But most of all, what I want you to see, you're not going to some sterile place. Little unnamed puppy came home to a nice brand new shiny kennel. But when you put her in the kennel by herself, she whimpered and whined. But as soon as you open the gate, she stopped whining and she jumped up to me, her master, and was satisfied. And I don't know, it's probably dangerous to compare dogs and heaven. Aren't there dogs in heaven? We won't. That's another sermon. Going to be with Jesus, and you'll be with him forever. I love it how the disciples on the mountain of transfiguration. They'd been with Jesus. They were amazed by Jesus. They saw him do all kinds of crazy, cool things. But just for a moment, the veil was pulled back and they saw Jesus in his glory and it was this astounding thing. And Peter's like, hey, don't anybody move. Let's stay here. We want to stay in this place. Let's build shelters and tents. Let's stay right here. They just saw a glimpse of his glory. And I can't tell you because I don't know what it's gonna be like, but we will be in the presence of beauty 
and power and glory and majesty really unimaginable. And I think Paul is so overwhelmed. This guy's an educated guy, but I think he loses his mind just a little bit. And he says, oh, it's going to be very much better. Very much better. That's similar to more better. And your parents tell you not to say it. Very much better. I I looked that up. That's called a triple comparative. It's better. It's better than staying here to be with Jesus. As good as your life may be, to be with him is better. And it's not just better. It's much better. This is down here and this is up here. There's a big chasm. Not just better, much better. And then he says, not just better and much better, very much better. That's that's about all you can say. There's not much more than very much better. Your best day on, on this earth, your finest moment in life, your greatest dream fulfilled, your highest pleasure and fulfillment in this life, he says, that is very much better. So that helps me say, I want to go there and be with Jesus. Do I have a death wish? Nah, not really. But I know that dying is gain because I'm in Christ and I'm going to be with him. So one of our great fears in life is that day. It's that moment of death, isn't it? And the Philippians are racked by the possibility we could end up like Paul. We're his compadres in this thing. He's in jail, about to lose his life. What if that happens to me? And Paul says, and to live as Christ is good. There's, there's fruitful labor, necessary things. We help others to meet Jesus, but to go there and be with Christ is very much better. So listen, if you're in the faith, you need not fear death because dying is gain. Dying is gain. And so Paul says, I love it. I don't just desire to depart, weigh anchor. He says, I desire. That word is actually translated many times as lust. Greedy lust. Often sinful lust, actually. He says, I I actually lust. It is this insatiable desire for that. Because I believe it is so amazing. I know it is so amazing. Here's what we see in these verses, folks. It's a vision of life and death. It's a vision of being in Christ. So whether we stay in this life, however, listen, we're going to stay at least for a little while. Whether it's an hour, a week, a day, a decade. For some of you, maybe a century, I doubt it, but maybe. There's vision for your life. You know, honestly, I think a lot of Christians struggle with death. But many come to peace with death because dying is gain. And actually, they struggle with living for Christ. They don't know what that means. He shows us a vision of life. And it's loving others. It's building up others just like Jesus did. So we have a vision of the mature Christian in living and in death. And here's what you can know both are being with Christ, knowing Christ, and communion with Christ. One of them is face-to-face. One is long-distance. But we are safe. We are secure in Christ. Amen? Would you bow with me?
Are you in Christ? That becomes the pivotal question. You come into Christ, into his fellowship in this life by faith. You receive him. You submit your life to him. Repent and turn of waywardness and rebellion and you come to him. And by faith, you accept that he is the son of God who died for you to pay the penalty of your sins. And he rose from the grave on the third day. He overcame death in the grave. And you know you need that. We all need that. And you simply trust with childlike faith that he will save you from the grave and give you eternal life. He'll give you his life here and now. His hands are open. His arms are open wide. Not just to receive you on that fateful day, but here today. His arms are open wide. Run to the Father through Jesus the Son. Come into his presence and communion and fellowship. Come to Christ. Make him your master and your Lord. Let him teach you and train you and mature you in the ways that you should walk in this life. And trust him for life in the next. If you've never done that, would you do that today? You do business with God right there in your heart where you sit. Tell him you want to be saved. For those who have been walking with Christ, you've done that. You've trusted him, you know him. But maybe you've lost focus. You've lost sight of the master. You've been doing your own thing. You've been chasing down things that really don't mean make a hill of beans difference in this life and we all do that from time to time he's inviting you into the most fulfilling though difficult ministry that is the ministry of giving up yourself for the good of others would you just be the kind of person the kind of Christian today who yields yourself to him for whatever his purposes are Christian, tell the Lord that you want him to use you in this life, to bear fruit that lasts, that you want to be the kind of person that is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Tell the Lord that you want to lead your family in the ways of Christ, that you want to lead your coworkers and friends to see the beauty and the power of Christ. Ask him to fill you up and to pour out from you of his spirit. And maybe you're here today and you're racked by fear. Your fear of what it might cost you to speak up for Jesus. You're fearful, honestly, of death. Let the example in the ministry and the words of this book, of this mature Christian saint, Feed your faith, nourish your soul, relieve you of anxiety. Come to peace with the fact that Christ has you. You are safe and you are secure. And death, no matter how cruel or gruesome it may seem to you, is simply weighing anchor. It's letting go of this fleshly life that's racked disease and death and it's going to be with Christ do you believe that? 
believe it. On the authority of God's word in the very lips of Jesus, who says, I go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. Father, today we are thankful that you give us your word to help us to see. Give us your spirit to help us believe. You give us your spirit to transform us. Lord, today I pray that you would grip us as a church and each one with these great truths that to live is Christ and to die is gain and to be with Christ. Thank you that you love us, that you've not destined us to wrath, but to salvation in Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.